Here we are again, Dave. Alexander. How are you, mate? All good, my man. How are you feeling this morning? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. Um, yeah. Well, let's get no, into I, it. I, I feel pretty good. Yourself? No, I'm all good. It's a sunny day. It's a, I appreciate the nice weather. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's going to... I think there's going to be about three or four nice days, so... That does wonders for mood and people's well-being, I think, so... Well, you, you know me, I, I, I like the cold weather, mate, so... Well, yeah, that's true. You can't, have you been <laughs> able to do ice baths much now? Do you do that stuff at home? Nah, look, it's, I've been pretty slack on the ice baths, actually, mate, so... Um, I'm actually looking at getting, like, a big... Uh, sort of um, galvanized iron tub and like putting that in the backyard and nice starting to get back into ice therapy because obviously like I yeah I think a lot of things uh, this year have sort of you know taken a little bit of a back step so um, yeah I want I want to get I want to get back into the swing of things um, so yeah I'm gonna put a big uh, you know a galvanized iron tub in the backyard awesome. and start filling that up with ice and, and get back to maybe doing about three ice baths a week so do you um, do you know any I know you guys got an infrared sauna at Fifth Element do you know anybody who does traditional saunas installs traditional dry like those finished saunas I mean obviously there's facilities that have got uh, dry saunas I mean the way to look at like I'm not anti-dry saunas, but if you just look at it from a percentage perspective, um, with a dry sauna, like about 95% of what you're losing is just like uh, fluids. So obviously with that, you're losing things like electrolytes. So you lose, you're losing minerals. So about 95% is that, and then about 5% is uh, toxins. Yeah. So if you, if you use like far infrared heat, Okay, well, you're looking at about 80% you're losing is like water, fluids, electrolytes, and about 20% of what you're losing is like toxins. And, and so there's going to be a lot of byproducts in there. So things like excess amounts of calcium, excess amounts of things like uric acid, you know, obviously things like plastics and heavy metals. Yeah, okay. Um, so the, it just, just from a clearance perspective, okay, um, obviously there's a there's a great there's a far greater ratio there for something like far infrared heat okay and then there's obviously other benefits on top of that so um, I want to go run rabbit hole at a time I, that was I kind of just asked that out of curiosity but um, you, you, you probably you probably weren't expecting to get that response yeah <laughs> as usual but Dave for this one obviously like we talked about I talked to you in depth like back and forth through your teachings to me and then on my podcast. But with this conversation, like I, I told you earlier, I wanted to take it in the direction of probably something where you don't talk about as much. Like people get you talking about bloods and holistic health and deep in the weeds are there. But I want to go more principled foundations with coaches and trainers. And yep. starting straight up, because we certify students to be you know, personal trainers and coaches doing Cert 3 and 4. If you could design a curriculum to certify trainers and coaches, what would be your biggest heavy hitter principles that you would want to cover? 
It's a great, great, great question, Alexander. Um, look, fundamentally, where I think we we potentially are going wrong in that realm, yeah, okay, um, is is almost like filling in the filling in the gaps. So filling in the gaps of where we're really like missing key major points, okay. And so what I mean by this is, you know, um, like obviously the whole realms of like gastrointestinal health. Now, obviously, and and we've touched on this before when we've spoken in podcasts, okay. Now, there's obviously going to be people who go, well, that's really for gastroenterologists and. I, I look, I understand that point of view, yeah, okay? And there's the whole thing of like, stay in your lane, yeah, okay? So really your lane is exercise prescription, mm. you know, periodization, programming. But I guess my big point here is you cannot do those things properly if you don't understand that particular topic. Now, so you know what the crazy thing speak- is then? Like so many people aren't doing it pr- properly or fully and completely then, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Because it's a factor that you, because the, the, the whole thing with training, essentially what you're going to apply with this individual is stress. Okay. And so you, 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 like, this is what it comes down to. You need to understand when is the best time to apply this particular type of stress and when is the best time to take this sort of stress away. Yeah. Okay? That, that, that's the whole thing with programming and periodization in a nutshell. Okay. Now, the, the, the whole thing without understanding something like gut health, and I'm just using this as an example because there's obviously more to it than what I'm talking about here, yeah, okay, is let's say I've got someone with something like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth for people who don't know, okay? So you've got an overgrowth of either good bacteria or bad bacteria in the, in the small intestine, okay? And with that, that bacteria is releasing all these byproducts, okay? So different types of gases, things like hydronines, excess amounts of methane, yeah, okay? Now, there's also other byproducts like histamine, okay? You know, excess lactic acid. So the only reason I'm sort of bringing this up as a bit of an example, yeah, okay, is if I go with this particular individual and start applying things like a lot of lactate capacity work, yeah, okay, um, you know, a lot of lactate threshold, so gl- a lot of glycolytic training, which would essentially mean that like, high volume okay so high amounts of reps and and i'm not i'm not demonizing this type of training it's necessary does that make sense yeah okay but with an individual who's got something like SIBO okay the the problem is they already because of the bacterial overgrowth they already have an excess amounts of lactic acid because the lactic acid is the byproduct from bacteria okay and that's not a bad thing because it's fuel for the the gastrointestinal cells okay so i'm not saying that's bad but there's higher amounts of lactic acid, yeah, okay? And you actually look at it, we go through a whole heap of glycolytic training, conditioning work, okay, let's dumb it down even more, like HIIT training, high-intensity interval training, yeah, okay? Well, of course, I'm going to accumulate more lactate, correct? Okay, I'm going to accumulate more uh, uh, lactic acid, okay? And that's and that the, the reason we're doing that is to try and increase the lactate threshold. So I'm saying this is a good thing, yeah, okay? But it's, you also got to have the ability to be able to tolerate and you also have got to have the ability to be able to clear the excess amounts of lactate out of the system, okay? And you've got different forms of lactate, okay? You've got D-lactate, which essentially comes from bacteria, and you've got L-lactate, okay? You can have an accumulation of too much lactate in the system, okay? And so I guess the big point that I'm trying to get across here is someone who's got like an overgrowth of bacteria in the small intestine, okay? 
they can have excess amounts of things like hydrogen ions. Now, the way to look at it with something like uh, lactate, okay, essentially what lactate is, is like two py pyruvate molecules and one hydrogen ion molecule. Okay, and essentially, and I always use this example, okay, the example would be like me doing like a bicep curl. Okay, now essentially what makes my bicep fatigued, and once again, I'm not saying this is a bad thing, it's a good thing, okay, is the accumulation of the hydrogen ions. That's what makes my bicep fatigued. Okay, now just to understand, if I've got an overgrowth of bacteria where the byproduct is also excess amounts of things like hydrogen ions, okay, what actually happens for, for those people is the accumulation of the hydrogen ions, apart from causing more damage within the gastrointestinal lining, but you will feel like more fatigued, more lethargy. Okay, um, you just won't, you, you just won't, you just won't, won't have energy throughout the day. Okay, so you're just tired all the time there. Okay, and so the way to look at it is, if I got, you know, this individual with this particular problem, and let's let's put it in perspective. Yeah, okay, how many people have IBS type symptoms and so what I mean by that is irritable bowel syndrome okay well how many people that's that's growing you know by the day we can easily say that yeah okay and about 70% of all IBS symptoms are actually SIBO yeah the other 30% are things like intestinal permeability microbiome imbalances other gastrointestinal complications you know uh, you know dysbiosis which just means inflammation in the gut so they would make up the other 30%, but 70% is quite a high proportion, okay? Um, and so if, if, we, if we've got an individual who's got this particular problem and then all we're doing is going, okay, so we're just gonna give them a whole heap of volume. Yeah. We're gonna give them a lot of conditioning work, a lot of HIIT training, okay? Um, not use the, the correct work to rest ratio. And that's probably a point that I'll, I'll, I'll bring up, okay? Because that's really relevant. Sometimes just the fact that we're just using work to rest ratios that don't even exist in the strength and conditioning realms. Okay. And and for someone who's got something like SIBO, that's like a nightmare come true. Mm. Okay. Because they're just accumulating so much more lactate. Yeah. Okay. And the, the problem here is they just can't clear a lot of the lactate out of the system. So it accumulates. Okay. And the problem is that they're accumulating uh, more lactate, uh, like lactic acid, more lactate, okay? Well, that's why they feel more fatigued, more tired, more lethargy, okay? So how these people will respond to that, those particular training modalities is the next day they'll wake up and they'll feel like they've been hit by a Mack truck, okay? So, and, and so it, they'll feel fine in the actual training session. So that's what, that's what the listeners really need to understand. During the training session, they'll feel fine even if they've got those gastrointestinal problems. Now, why? Because fight and flight, okay? They're, they're just going into straight fight and flight and that's going to supersede a lot of the bacterial complications and so forth that we're dealing with, but then you've got to deal with them later, of course, okay? But, you know, the way to look at it is it's stress response, it's stimulation of the HPA axis, okay? And because this is a matter of essentially for your body, life and death, okay, it's going to prioritize that axis, okay? So of course you're still going to get through the actual training session, but how it's going to manifest is how you wake up the next day because you can't clear the lactate out of the system. Okay. Now these people get excessive amounts of things like DOMS. Okay. So delayed onset muscle soreness. Okay. And so these would be the people who go like they've had DOMS. Okay. They've had mass muscle soreness for like a couple of days. Okay. And then, and, and how we associate that, we go, well, that's a good training session. I go, no, why can't you clear the lactate out of your system? Okay. 
So I'm not talking about someone that's just like a, like a complete beginner. Mm. I'm talking about someone who's used to training in, you know, uh, lact, lactate threshold, yeah. lactate capacity, these energy systems, but they just, they, they just get, you know, uh, uh, muscle soreness on a, on a frequent basis. Does that make sense? Okay. So the only reason I want to use that as a bit of an example of what I'm talking about here, Alexander, because you can see if I don't even, if I can't even identify that as a problem, how can I seriously apply the right type of stress and the right, the right, right type of, you know, uh, energy system work, the right type of training for the individual? Great point. Okay. And so then by me just sticking to some particular system, okay, that I was taught no matter what, even though the person's got these, these types of problems, would it be fair to say that by applying more HIIT training, more lactate capacity, you know, uh, even more things like lactate power, because you're still, you're still accumulating a lot of lactate, okay, applying these types of energy systems and, and this type of glycolytic training, is there, is there a case to say that potentially I'm making their problem even worse? Absolutely. Yes, okay. And so if I'm making their problem worse, then we obviously know that these particular gastrointestinal issues can lead to more sinister health complications. Okay. I just want to use that as an example, okay? And so the big missing, like to answer your question, okay, one of the big gaps here, okay, is that really a lot of trainers just have no understanding really how the gastrointestinal tract work. They have really no understanding how the microbiome work, how important the microbiome is for your ability to assimilate the singular molecules that you need for brain chemicals, neurotransmitters, you know, for your ability to modulate and regulate your hormonal balance, okay? And so what we're taught a lot of the time in that instance is when there's hormonal dysregulation to try and use some sort of herb or some, you know, to try and, you know, uh, regulate or mimic the particular hormone to try and regulate the hormones. But it's a little bit like uh, using Band-Aids to patch up a leaky boat. Because obviously the, the, real rich, the, the real reason that you've got a lot of this dysregulation with your hormones is that the microbiome and the gastrointestinal lining are not aiding you in modulating it. And modulating just means to actually bring balance back to it. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, so okay. And that's a great, really important pillar. And you've brought it in. It's so practical that training volume, training stimulus can dysregulate and make these common guts ailments that majority of people have worse right so that's number one the pillar of gut what is another pillar that you would say you would teach or encourage coaches to understand well i'm going to bring in something that i don't necessarily talk about all the time and i think once again we've touched on this in, in podcasts okay um and that's just around the training realms Okay, so so one aspect that I just don't think it's taught, okay, is one making sure that we have the correct building blocks in place to support the particular energy systems that we're just about to put the individual through. Okay, okay? now once again, just giving you examples of this, yeah, okay. So if we look at something like creatine phosphate, okay, now creatine phosphate, we're looking at explosive and speed work here. Okay, now someone who's a little bit more advanced, a little bit more trained, okay, so a lactic. Okay, so that would be seeing it from an energy system perspective, this would be more working in things like a lactic uh, power and a lactic capacity. Okay, all right, so shorter time frames, yeah, okay. And so we'd be looking in the realms for someone who's a little bit more experienced, about zero to 10 seconds, 
Okay, now maybe for people who who, who can't really elicit enough uh, speed and explosiveness, they can't recruit enough motor unit pulls within the muscle surface area. Maybe we're looking at about ten to thirty. Okay, but the the, the the one area that I think we're really forgetting is essentially having the building box for that. Okay, and so what I mean by that, what do I need for creatine phosphate? Well, strangely enough, I need creatine. Okay, so what essentially makes up creatine? Well, creatine is essentially like an amino acid byproduct. Okay, so I need amino acids to essentially help me with the production of this particular compound. Yeah, okay, so you need things like methionine, you need arginine, you need glycine. Okay, so you need amino acids. Yeah, okay, and the only reason I'm bringing this up, Alexander, is because I want to make it clear to, to all the trainers, yeah, okay, that you've got to make sure that this person has the right building blocks before you start to elicit these types of training systems and so forth, yeah, okay? And I'm gonna use some other examples with this, yeah, okay? So I need I need creatine. And understand also potentially people with like methylation issues, like the MTHFR gene defect, okay? These are gene mutations. There's like 50 different variants of that gene mutation. They potentially can have some issues, you know, producing things like creatine. So that can be an, another added complication that means if they're not producing enough creatine, what, what does creatine help with? It helps with things like uh, muscle recovery, yeah, okay? Um, yeah, just our ability to, to repair, okay? Um, yeah, just our capacity to recover, yeah, okay? And things like growth, yeah, okay? Like really important for those aspects, yeah, okay? So I need creatine, but you also need phosphate, okay? And, and, and the, the way to look at it, okay, this is all to do with phosphorus, okay? Which is a key like mineral. Okay, now phosphorus, you can get out of things like avocado, just in case people wonder, yeah, okay? But, you know, phosphorus is really found a lot in your, like your cells, okay? And you also find it within the bone as well, yeah, okay? And so the only reason I'm sort of in this, bringing this up as an example is I need creatine and I need phosphate, I need phosphorus, okay? To actually help with this particular energy system. Like, it's like the example that I use here, Alexander, it's not like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory in there. So if you're not if you're not setting your clients up with the correct building blocks before you start to elicit particular training systems, all you're essentially doing you're setting them up for failure. There's just no doubt about that. And I'll use some other examples when it comes to like movement. Yeah, okay. So to actually help with movement, like people might go, well, you know, I've got like shoulder issues, so I've got rotator cuff, uh, ro rotator cuff problems. Okay. And what we, what we focus on is like the movement pattern. Um, I'm not saying that we don't need to do that. Of course we need to do that because there's important ratios when it comes to your ability, you know, to what you can push to what you should be able to externally rotate. Probably a conversation for another time. Okay. But there's a lot of key biomechanical ratios that we need to apply in the body. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. But also, is there evidence and is there room to say that some reasons that people struggle with things like, yeah, okay, like biomechanics is because they don't actually have enough of the building blocks, okay? And essentially, what do I mean by that? Well, let's look at some of these key building blocks that help with things like lubrication of the joint, okay? And so obviously, we're looking like things like synovial fluid, okay? And so people would go, well, so synovial fluid, okay, that's actually gonna help with lubrication of the joint. Yes, so that will promote synovial fluid, the movement, correct? Okay, but I've also got to have the building blocks for synovial fluid. Once again, it doesn't just appear out of nowhere, okay? Now, what's the building box that I need for synovial fluid? I need proline, I need glycine, I need glucosamine. 
okay and so where can we get a lot of these key nutrients okay obviously glycine and pro proline being what we call conditionally essential amino acids okay well yes uh you know something like glycine being a non-essential amino acid we can get it from essential amino acids but conditionally essential means if we if we really need it we also need to get out of our, out of our food and examples of that would be things like slow cooked meats okay you know um you know like things like bone broth okay it's got a lot of the key building blocks and you look at like glucosamine well where can we get glucosamine because glucosamine is recognized a lot better coming from the food source itself and obviously glucosamine comes out of the cartilage from the bone yeah okay and these are the three key ingredients and obviously you know things like omega-3 fatty acids are really good here as well yeah okay but the point that i'm trying to get across is there's like a soup that we need for the synovial fluid hyaluronic acid okay hyaluronic acid really helps with areas like the hips okay lubrication through the hips okay now once again there's just like these this soup that we need yeah okay and once again it is glycine it's proline it's glucosamine omega-3 fatty acids okay and so what i basically say to people okay is there evidence to show that the reason that the person's struggling with mobility they're struggling with movement okay is that they actually don't have enough of the building blocks to actually help them with a lot of these key compounds that we require for movement okay and of course if we've got like gastrointestinal issues a lot of the top a lot of the time we're struggling to assimilate a lot of these key amino acids that we need for these building blocks okay and i think i mentioned this to you before they did testing on people with ibd so people who don't know that's like irritable bowel disorders irritable bowel disease and that's things like examples would be like crohn's disease yeah okay uh ulcerative colitis yeah okay so autoimmune conditions yeah okay and ibs complications which is basically what i broke down before irritable bowel syndrome okay and they actually tested these people and they actually showed that these particular uh, uh individuals with these types of conditions which is a high proportion in western society yeah, okay um produce up to 20 percent less collagen so if they produce up to 20% less collagen, how is that going to go for connective tissue? So how's it going to go for things like muscle, cartilage, bone, tendons, ligaments? Well, also your gastrointestinal lining is made from type one collagen as connective tissue as well. So how's that going to go for the little cells in your gut lining? Okay. So the point that I'm getting across, Alexander, is when I when I really mentor people and when I really teach them, I go, okay, let's make sure we, we start to get the building blocks here first because that's going to support the movement. So what we what we essentially tend to do first is go, let's start doing the programming, let's start doing all the movement, okay? And we'll start to feel all that along the way or or never. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay? And then they start to get all these, you know, connective tissue issues, they start to get all these repetitive strain injuries, okay? And then that, you know, in some instances, people might say, "Well, I've had this rotator cuff issue, or I've had this glenohumeral joint issue. Oh, how long have you had that for?" Uh, like I've had that for about six years and I've been seeing a physio once a week for six years. And I go, that's not a biomechanical issue. That's a biochemical issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause if, if like, if really, if it was just like a rotator cuff issue, we should be able to really fix that issue within the space of a few months. Mm-hmm. If it really is just purely a biomechanical issue, does that make sense? So, you know, one big point that I want to get across when it comes to things like movement, mobility, energy systems. Okay. 
and there's obviously a lot more to it than what I've spoken about. Okay, but we need the we need we need to put the foundations. You don't go you don't go you don't go start building a house and then you put the roof up first. Yeah, okay, and you you put the walls up first. Okay, you've got to you've got to you got to clear the land. You got to put in the foundations. You got to do the surveying. You got to make sure it's all level. Yeah, okay, you got to put in the foundation and just to understand. All, a lot of those things that I'm talking about, that's the foundations for movement. It's the foundations for energy systems. Yeah, okay? And so what we're forgetting about when it comes to energy systems, yeah, okay, is the key building blocks that are actually required to support it. Does that, does that make sense? So that, that's one thing. Like I'm just saying we're not, we're not giving trainers a lot of the, the education around yeah. what do we need to put in place to support these energy systems and then just around the energy systems themselves. Yeah, okay. Um, and so what I mean by this, yeah, okay, is a, a, a lot of the time we, we're not working all three major energy systems. Okay. So, you know, creatine phosphate, yeah, okay. And how can you tell when people say so lactic, yeah, okay? So anaerobic, like obviously that's what I'm talking about here, speed and explosiveness, yeah, okay. Well, where, where people go wrong with this one, okay, a lot of the time they're trying to elicit uh, the individual to 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 be able to perform speed and explosiveness, and essentially, what do they not have first? They don't have strength. Okay, and the, like the way to the way to look at it is strength is like the seed. Okay, everything essentially starts from that. Okay, and if you actually look at it when, when it comes to muscle surface area, what do we need to create first in muscle surface area? We need to create mass. Okay, and we need to so we need to create mass, and we need to create um, strength. Okay. And once we create that, yeah. Okay. Within that muscle surface area that allows us to actually help to recruit more motor unit pools. Okay. And when we recruit more motor unit pools, now we can elicit more speed and explosiveness. Yeah. Okay. And so we just fast track things. Okay. And so what I mean by that, we don't create mass and we don't create strength. Okay. And then all of a sudden we ask people to do things like complex plyometrics like split lunges yeah okay you know uh shock training and shock training would be things like depth jumps yeah okay well just to put in perspective yeah okay if i was dealing with an athlete and i was going to do complex plyometrics so i'm not talking about basic plyometrics like tuck jumps bounding skipping because that's basically where i'd start because it's really good for the tendons and the ligaments and the talocrural joint. I'm not taking away how important it is, even for aspects like serotonin, okay, good for the knee joint, yeah, okay? So I'm not taking away how important it is, but we just skip steps. That's, that's one of my big things, Alexander. We just skip steps and we go straight to here, okay? But if I was dealing with an athlete, okay, and basically let's say I, was, I wanted to do some split jumps and some more complex plyometrics, they would need to be able to, uh, squat 1.5 times their body weight, which is 150% for a squat. Okay, now how many people do you reckon are doing those types of exercises and can 1.5 times? That comes from actually old school Russian, um, you know, uh, training 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 modalities. They've applied that for, for for such a long period of time. Yeah, okay. Now when it comes to something like depth jumps, okay. So for for, for people who don't know, it's more like a triple jump movement. Yeah, okay. Well, for something like depth jumps, which is shock training, you want to be able to do about 200%, so two times your body weight, okay? And so what I'm saying is a lot of the time in a lot of training systems, we're abiding by, by, uh, by ideologies that don't actually really exist in strength and conditioning realms. 
Does, like we just wouldn't apply that to an athlete. Now, why, what would make us think that that is going to be good for general population? Mm. Okay. So the problem here is that they don't have mass, they don't have strength. And then we start doing shock training. We start doing complex plyometrics. What do you think is going to happen to these individuals? They're going to get injured. They're going to get injured. Yeah. Okay. So, and even when it comes to energy system work, yeah, okay, we just don't use the right work to rest ratio. Okay. And so when we're doing conditioning training, okay. And so within, you know, uh, when, when it comes to conditioning work, we've obviously got things like a lactic, okay, which anaerobic, yeah, okay. And then you've got within that, you've got a lactic power, you've got a lactic capacity, okay. Then you've got lactate, okay. And within that, you've got lactate power, you've got lactate capacity, and you've got aerobic, and you've got aerobic power, and you've got aerobic capacity, okay. Don't worry, I'm not going to go on to those different realms and all those different work work to rest ratios, but I just want to use the example of when it comes to work to rest ratio, okay? And so if we wanna do more something like aerobic power or lactate capacity, okay? Then basically we're gonna use about a one-to-one work to rest ratio. So if I had a work effort of about 30 seconds, then I'm gonna have about 30 second rest, okay? The only reason I wanna use this as a bit of an example is just understand some of the work to rest ratios that we're actually using with the general population and it just, it's just craziness. Yeah. Okay. So that would be uh, if we want to increase things like lactate threshold, actually help with a little bit of aerobic capacity along with this. Yeah. Okay. Um, so there's benefits here. Yeah. Okay. Now if it comes to down to something like a lactic power, okay. Creatine phosphate, more explosive, then we're going to use about a one to seven work to rest ratio. Okay. Now let's look at some of the work to rest ratios that we're using in the current environment, yeah, okay? Um, well, I'll use F45 as an example, yeah, okay? So they're using about like 45 seconds of effort with about 20 second rest. Mm. All the time. So it's actually, <laughs> sorry? It's like, and that's all the time. I mean, I might be a bit wrong, but that's pretty much every session people go to, it's like that. Yeah, and so just to understand, out of like, and I just use a few examples here, yeah, okay? That, does, that work to rest ratio doesn't even really exist in the strength and conditioning realms. Okay, so why are we applying a particular work to rest ratio with general population that we don't need, we, we don't even really use in the athletic realms? Okay, and so that that's that's another example that I wanted to use is that we fundamentally also aren't teaching a lot of trainers the correct uh, application of things like work to rest ratio and to understand not just the building blocks with the energy systems and how I would work the energy systems generally is you want to work sort of back to front. And so what I mean by that, I'm really going to, a lot of people just don't have good aerobic capacity. Okay. So I'm really going to work things like aerobic capacity, aerobic power, work my way back whilst I increase their strength. Okay. Because once I, whilst, Whilst I'm doing that, trying to increase their aerobic capacity, which is going to help with obviously things like mitochondrial density, yeah, okay, uh, you know, it also has a, a knock-on effect to even help with aspects like stomach acid, hydrochloric acid, yeah, okay, because you you get more byproducts like carbon dioxide, okay, uh, and that helps with bicarbonate, and that directly helps with things like stomach acid. So there's huge benefits there, okay. Um, but obviously, I'm getting more oxygen into the mitochondria. Okay, this will pick up the person's like energy systems, help with things like heart rate variability. So if I start working it from the energy system perspective, now I can start to increase their strength. Okay, and then now we're starting to create more mass. Okay, we're starting to create more strength in the muscle fibers. 
And then, okay, that will allow me to elicit more speed and explosiveness, okay, when we start to apply more things like creatine phosphate and a lactic work, okay? But you understand what we're doing is we're taking a group of people and then we, we, we apply complex movement patterns, yeah, okay, complex plyometrics where they just don't have the strength to elicit that, okay? Where, you know, we're using explosive movement patterns, which you'd really use in a bit more of a creatine phosphate or a lactic scenario, but they just can't elicit speed and, 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 and power, okay? So I guess the big point I wanted to get across, yeah, okay, is are we really teaching trainers, you know, are we really teaching them the, the, the right type of like uh, information around energy systems? Uh, are we really teaching the, them the, the right information around what types of building blocks you're going to require to make sure that the, that, the, that the individual doesn't get injured. And that's a big point that I want to get across because what's the role if someone wants to be a great personal trainer, if someone wants, especially if someone wants to be a strength and conditioning coach, okay? So let's look at it in the sporting realms, okay? The role of a strength and conditioning coach is to do what? To make sure that the, the, the athlete doesn't get injured. Now, I'm not saying that like that's always the same goal for general population and a personal trainer, okay? But I'm telling you for an athlete, Okay, your real your real goal as a trainer or, or a strength and conditioning coach is to make sure that that athlete doesn't get injured. Okay, yeah. and, and and so that's that's a big point that I want to get across. Like, are we really teaching? Do do, do they really know uh, and understand the energy systems properly? And do they really understand the building blocks that you require to support those energy systems? Would you then suggest, like practically speaking, for coaches for trainers? to then start recommending and suggesting they take like a safeguard supplement, take a creatine, take an essential amino acids and incorporate some type of slow cooked meat and bone broth on a consistent basis. Are those pretty three safe recommendations you would give to trainers? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know me, there's always more to it there, Alexander. Yeah. But I would say, yes, that they're reasonably good recommendations because a lot of the clients that we would see, they would be malnourished. Yeah. Okay, and the reason they're malnourished is not just because probably probably the quality of the food that they're consuming, okay, but also the area that assimilates it, which is obviously the gastrointestinal tract for most people, is essentially broken because of the bacterial issues they have, because of the damage to the gastrointestinal lining. And to understand that's the high majority of people in a, in a, in a, in a Western society. Yeah. Okay, and then always the argument that's going to get brought up is people are going to say, well, I don't have gastrointestinal symptoms and you've heard me say this a million times over okay a lot of people with gastrointestinal uh, problems it doesn't necessarily uh, manifest with gastrointestinal symptoms okay a lot of the time it actually will manifest with neurological problems energy system issues so they just feel flat and tired all the time uh, problems clearing excess amounts of things like lactic acid yeah okay uh, these are some of the most common uh, symptoms associated with gastrointestinal uh, uh, complications, okay? So, yeah, something that's going to support, you know, the connective tissue, okay? So maybe something like a collagen protein, yeah? Gelatin powder, the way to look at it, something like gelatin, because you've got to do like six different types of collagen in case people didn't know, yeah, okay? Obviously, the major one is type 1 collagen. Your gastrointestinal lining is mainly made, made up of type 1 collagen, okay? But it would be good to use something that covers all six. And gelatin covers all six so you can use something like a gelatin powder 
okay? And obviously there's a lot of good gelatin powders nowadays, okay? Obviously you want to use a good quality one, okay? So using something like that, you know, a better quality like uh, like a better quality whey protein, you know me, I'm really big on something like goat's whey, mm. okay? Why? Very low in casein, okay? It's, um, you're not going to have the same issues, like more negligent with things like lactose, mm-hmm. okay? Now, obviously, you're getting a lot of key building blocks like proline peptides, okay? It's really high in cysteine. That helps with glutathione, okay? And people generally, because we recognize the enzymes in goat's products a lot better than we do from bovine products. So it causes a lot less like gastrointestinal issues, okay? And, you know, uh, potential like uh, uh, sensitivity responses, yeah, okay? So something like a goat's way, yeah, okay? It, it, it's giving us a lot of these key building blocks that we need to support the gut lining, okay? Um, and, cause, and cause less uh, like, uh, I guess, like uh, um, negative responses mm. uh, as some people can get with some whey proteins and so forth, yeah, okay? So, yeah, giving them some support around that, yeah, okay? And also, you know, just cover a lot of the key minerals. So just taking like an electrolyte, yeah, okay? So something like a Cineplex Revive Electrolytes, yeah, okay? Which covers like the big sort of five. There's the big six, but they're basically taking calcium out of it, okay? So it's covering like magnesium involved in about 750 to 800 enzymatic process in the body. You got like potassium, you got phosphorus, yeah, okay? Uh, you've got sodium and you've got chloride, yeah, okay? So you're covering a lot of those key minerals. And the way to look at it, you've got about 18 major minerals that, you know, minerals play one of the biggest roles when it comes to enzymatic process in the body. And what do I mean by that? Just like chemical reactions, okay? So just taking a good quality electrolyte, not one that is, uh, you know, um, fluoro orange or fluoro yellow or fluoro blue, yeah, okay? You know, there's no river in the world or no no spring water in the world that is actually fluoro blue, yeah, okay? So, you know, natural electrolytes, yeah, okay? Uh, and sometimes you can just use something like half a lime, okay, because lime is very high in, like, polyphenols. The polyphenols in limes will stick around your system for about 24 hours, okay? Um, they actually used to use lime to sterilize water. It's got antiparasitic benefits, yeah, okay? So you're getting a lot of those benefits, but it has a lot of minerals, so things like potassium, and you use that with like quarter of a teaspoon of Celtic sea salt, okay? So combining those two together in warm filtered water and doing that a couple of times today to keep your electrolyte balance up. You know, you know, magnesium, just because it's involved in so many different mechanisms, yeah, okay? Uh, and you can't go wrong with magnesium, especially if you're training really hard, okay? And I think I've definitely mentioned this to you before, Alexander, but they actually did testing on athletes and they noticed athletes through one hard training session would deplete their serum magnesium levels, which is like plasma, okay, um, by tenfold, okay? So one of the best things we could apply post-training and also at night is magnesium, okay? Now, I'm not necessarily going to go into the realms of the different types of magnesium that are going to be better for different types of people, yeah, okay? But Safeguard is generally a magnesium glycinate, okay, because magnesium glycinate is just more bioavailable. So from a supplementation perspective, the uptake is, is, is generally a little bit better. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that other types of magnesium aren't good. Does that make sense? But I'm just saying more of a safeguard magnesium would be a magnesium glycinate, okay? And then, you know, the minimum dosage is basically 10 milligrams per one kilo body weight. 
Yeah, okay. Um, so if you weigh 90 kilos, then you're going to need 900 milligrams of magnesium per day. And I'm saying that's the minimum requirement. So if you're highly stressed and you're training really hard, you're going to need more magnesium than that. Okay. But also taking things like, you know, uh, magne- like topical magnesiums, which generally is a magnesium sulfate, you know, uh, like a magnesium chloride, like a, like a magnesium oil, you know, spraying, you know, four squirts behind each knee before you go to bed because you generally want to try and get magnesium in through your eyeballs, up your backside. You want to try and get in any way you can because even if we look at it from an insulin sensitivity perspective, which is obviously going to be extremely important, when not just when we're dealing with athletes, but obviously when we're dealing with general population, if you actually want to look at the the best supplement when it actually when it actually comes to helping with things like insulin resistance, okay, helping with insulin sensitivity, it's magnesium. There's no doubt about that, yeah, okay. Um, and 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 so magnesium actually helps with the insulin receptors, so it actually helps with tyrosine kinase, yeah, okay. So you, you do yourself a lot of favors, like even things like gravity flotation tanks, yeah, okay. Um, you know, you're sitting in a whole whole pool of Epsom salts, yeah, okay. Um, you know, having things like naturally sparkling mineral water, okay, uh, spring water, just because that's where we used to get a lot of our magnesium was actually from consumption and bathing in it. Things like ocean water and so forth, high in magnesium. So the, the the only reason I'm sort of bringing these things up is just like, because they're just in, involved in so many key enzymatic and metabolic processes in the body, okay, like rather than us using like these specialized herbs and compounds, yeah, okay, like, you just it's so multifaceted alexander and, and so that's the big point that i want to get across even like zinc that's i'd say that can be a little bit more specialized because you know me i'm really big on a zinc l-carnosine yeah. which means it's bound to an amino acid it allows zinc to stick around longer in the gut and zinc is a very powerful antimicrobial so it helps with things in zinc l-carnosine helps with things like peptic ulcers helps with things like candida and yeast so like fungal overgrowth yeah okay which can be really detrimental to energy systems and neurological behavior. Again, negative gram bacteria. So zinc's such a powerful antimicrobial, but also it's involved in about 300 enzymatic processes that we know of. Bear in mind, okay, I always say this, when I first started learning about things like magnesium and zinc, I was told magnesium was involved in about 200 enzymatic processes. Well, guess what? Now it's up to 750 to 800. You know, for, for all your listeners, okay, what would I say that is telling me? We got no idea. <laughs> we got no idea. It just keeps on going up and up. Yeah. Oh, it's involved in that. It's involved in that. So, it, could the reality be that it's involved in way more than seven hundred and fifty to eight hundred enzymatic process in the body when it comes to magnesium? And is there potential to say that zinc is involved in more than three hundred? Yeah. Of course, yeah. because we're learning more about the body, and that's fine. Yeah, okay, I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah, okay. So we're learning more about the body, and we're learning more about how these key minerals and vitamins, you know, uh, their their major role to actually help with chemical processes in the body. So you'd be doing yourself a, a huge favor to cover some of these more multifaceted aspects. Does that make sense? Okay, because they're safeguard, and what I mean by safeguard is you want to utilize things that work on both sides of the fence. There's a lot of research to support, you know, uh, utilizing something like creatine. Okay. Um, there's a huge amount of research there, but once again, you don't need to use, you know, chronically high dosages, just a small amount. If you know me, cause obviously I'm dealing with blood markers. Okay. But you could actually see in the blood markers. Okay. Cause someone's creatinine levels will tend to be on the low side where they may need actually a higher support of something like creatine. 
okay? So it gets a little bit trickier with amino acids, but that's why, like what you brought up, Alexander, just covering all bases with something like an essential amino acid, yeah, yeah okay? Well, of course, if I've got someone who's malnourished, they've got absorption issues, using something like an essential amino acid is going to be quite safeguard, isn't it? Yeah. Okay? Just to cover a lot of those essential building blocks that they need to even help with the non-essential uh, amino acids because the way to look at it, yeah, okay, 20% of the human body is made up of protein. Okay, that doesn't mean it has to derive from animal proteins, but obviously amino acids are extremely important considering two thirds of the body is made up of water. Okay, this does put a huge emphasis on how important amino acids and protein is. Okay, uh, you know, the first 60% of the protein you consume goes towards healing your immune system. Okay, so um, we, be, we, we could be doing our, our clients a huge favor by covering a lot of these key building blocks like the magnesium, electrolytes, zinc, okay? You know, maybe uh, like a vitamin C just because it plays such a big role when it comes to your, your stress hormones, your catecholamines, cortisol, helping with the repair of collagen, okay? Helping with the synthesis of white blood cells, so your, your lymphocytes, your acquired immune system, so your immune system in general, yeah, okay? And so if, essentially we probably want to try and get that out of the food we're consuming but once again, we may need to support it with a more natural form of vitamin C, you know, me, like I like something like a kakadu plum, okay? Um, but also we could use like a liposymal, which is like liquid sublingual under the tongue, hold that for 30 to 60 seconds, let it drop down the back of your throat, okay? But I guess the point I'm trying to get across is that these things just cover so many multifaceted aspects, yeah. okay? Rather than starting to, and that's, that's what I think can really go wrong in the in the in the uh, personal training realms, okay, in the fitness realms, is we start to get really really specialised, okay. And yes, I'm teaching you know trainers, strength and conditioning coaches, okay, but it's also even people like naturopaths. Yes, I'm teaching them about blood markers and the correlations and so forth. But you know this, Alexander. Uh, what I basically there's complexity there. But actually, a lot of the things that I'm using to try and regulate this, okay, they're not the most complex, uh, you know, uh, supplements and they're not the most complex sort of uh, uh, protocols. You know, it's using things like ice therapy, it's using things like vitamin C, okay, um, you know, magnesium, okay, uh, restorative measures like meditation and metacognition and heart math and all these types of things. Like uh, I'm bringing it back into more multifaceted uh you know um multi multi-facet remedies yeah i know we talked about this it's like talking about stress and stress management i know we talked about this yesterday um with your course but so many people are going through such acute bouts of stress that are turning into chronic because of this year right mm. you know we've all experienced ups and downs through it can you yep. I'd love if you could talk about and give people some like key practical things that they can do to regulate their allostatic load, their total stress, and just calm the chatter and chaos that is happening in a lot of people's bodies and brain. Yeah, it, I mean, the, the way to look at it, and this is one of the aspects that I did talk about like yesterday, yeah. okay? and I said it's a little bit like your allostatic load, which is just like for people that don't know, okay? What Alexander's talking about here is just like our stress load, okay? And that can come from many different realms, yeah, okay? It can be major life events, yeah, okay? It can be 
you know, physical trauma like injuries, okay, it can be environmental. Now, as soon as I say environmental, most of the time people think, oh, okay, so that's pollutants and chemicals. No, I'm actually talking about your surroundings, yeah. okay, your neighborhood, okay, how people treat you, okay, that's not at the moment, I wouldn't say that's amazing, yeah, okay, um, behavioral, behavioral aspects, yeah, okay, um, you know, obviously uh, physiological, so what's going on with areas like your biochemistry, your gastrointestinal lining, your microbiome, okay, individual difference, differences like, you know, um, that would be like gene mutations, epigenetics, ancestral, all these types of aspects, perceived stress, which you know, you hear me say this all the time, it's the hardest one to combat because that's limiting beliefs, that's values. And unfortunately, it's a lot of things that you've been told, which unfortunately not necessarily true and they're generally holding you back, okay? But you're just hanging on to them, yeah, okay? So you combine all these things, yeah, okay? And that is essentially what your allostatic load is, okay? So what people need to understand is your, your body's not just gonna cop this, Okay, like it has to, like the body will adapt to stress. And I'm not saying this is a good thing, correct? Okay, um, we want the body to adapt to stress because it increases resilience. Yeah, okay. But if your allostatic load is too much, yeah, okay, your body has to realign its homeostasis. Okay, especially the brain it has to realign the homeostasis to be able to, to adjust and deal with this, this amount of stress. Okay, and so that becomes the new norm to the body and the brain. Does that make sense? Okay, but and, and so these people have adjusted to that, and that would actually be a lot of the people that would turn around and say to me, they go, Well, I don't feel stress. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, okay. And I go, Yeah, but just understand, just because you don't feel stress, okay, your body has just realigned its home homeostasis to adapt to that. Yeah. Okay. This doesn't mean this stress load is normal. Okay. And then what I find also, and I talked about this with you, okay, that what you find is once you start to alleviate some of these stresses, because that has become the new homeostasis that basically the body goes, oh, what's going on here? That's our homeostasis, that's what we're used to. And the person looks for more stress to actually apply to the body. And essentially what we need to do in that instance, when we're peeling back the layers of stress, we need to apply more restorative aspects. We need to replace it with something that's more restorative, okay? So if I alleviate one of those big layers of the onions, okay, and you, you obviously know where I come from, one of those big layers would be things like gastrointestinal problems. So people with things like negative gram bacteria overgrowth, parasites, yeast overgrowth, things like CFO, intestinal permeability, so damage to the little mucosal cells. Okay, these are some of the you know this is some of the worst stress that you can have internally in the body. Okay, and that's putting a lot of pressure on the brain because you've got to understand a lot of the bacterial byproducts they're causing more damage, not just to aspects like your gastrointestinal lining and your mitochondria and your cells, but also they're causing more inflammation in the brain and causing things like neuroinflammation and neurodegenerative diseases. So it's such a it's it's such a big layer of that allostatic load. So of course one of the best things that I can do to alleviate some of this allostatic excess allostatic load, because the allostatic load itself is not a problem. It's just the amount of allostatic allostatic load. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. Um, because stress increasing stress resilience and we want adaptation, we, we need it, yeah, okay? It's a good thing, okay? Um, but when that stress load is too much, yeah, okay, that's when it can become chronic and that's when it obviously can be causing some serious biochemical imbalances internally in the body, yeah, okay? And so one of the big layers that you can peel back, okay, is gastrointestinal stress, okay? Now, obviously, there's a lot within that, so I'm not yeah. gonna go into all the different, and you know that, yeah, okay? Um, but that could definitely be, 
one of the, 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 the biggest things that we could actually help to alleviate some of this current stress load that we're actually uh, experiencing. Yeah, okay. Now, let's go into some uh, realms that may be a little bit more uh, applicable in terms of that people can start applying straight away. Yeah, okay. And remember when we started talking about the health of your neurons, okay, uh, to actually help with things like neurotransmitters, these are brain chemicals, and they obviously help with mood regulation, behavioral traits, yeah, okay. Um, and from, from my experience, and I remember I talked about this, Alexander, we're focusing on the particular neurotransmitters, and it gets, it get, it, it gets pretty complex. We're trying to focus in on serotonin, use particular supplements to help with serotonin or dopamine and use L-tyrosine to try and increase dopamine. It just gets too fiddly for me. Well, let's just look at the neurons themselves, yeah, okay? And remember I talked about BDNF, like brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is a particular protein, okay? And there's certain things that stimulate a higher production of BDNF. I just, I just think this is more important for the trainers and the people that are listening because there's a lot of things that we can uh, – apply immediately to start to increase more bdnf okay well first of all let's look at the things that block it okay so what does bdnf do it actually helps to repair your neurons okay so your neurons okay are made up of the axons and the dendrites and you've got the synapses they actually help with the uptake of neurotransmitters okay so that's that's generally like their their, their structure yeah okay and so what actually helps with the neurons yeah okay is is brain-derived neurotrophic factor. So it actually helps to repair these neurons. It actually helps with the formation of new neurons. Okay, It will actually help to repair the synapses. And if it helps, it actually helps to repair the synapses, is that going to actually help with the uptake of things like brain chemicals and neurotransmitters? Of course. Yeah, okay. So a lot of amazing healing properties when it comes to this particular protein molecule. Okay, well, let's look at the things that block it. Okay, so one thing that blocks it is stress. Okay, so, and that can come in many different forms. I've already spoken about it, okay? And so what's really happening at the moment, Alexander, is that stress load is just too much. There's financial stress, okay? There's emotional stress, there's emotional trauma. Now already, people already had things like childhood trauma and all these types of things taking place. Now on top of that, they've probably got bacterial complications. So now there's, there's physiological stress, okay? That's coming from gastrointestinal problems and, uh, biochemical imbalances and so forth. So that, that stress load is huge at the moment. So is that going to potentially impair on something like brain-derived neurotrophic factor? Of course. Okay, the other thing is sugar. Now, one thing that can really come through when you've got like, especially certain types of bacterial issues like acetaldehyde issues, which is the byproduct from yeast and candida and CIFO and parasites, okay, a lot of this can exacerbate your addiction profiles. Okay, so people become more addicted to things like sugar, alcohol, could be recreational drugs, okay, sex, gambling, all the, these things get exacerbated. Okay, well, sugar also blocks brain derived neurotrophic factor. And then on top of that, okay, it can actually wipe out your heavy hitters against bacteria, which are the neutrophils, like white blood cells, for like five hours. Okay, and so that's not really going to help it when it, it comes to your ability to keep at bay things like secondary infections like opportunistic bacteria, okay? Um, so sugar is another big factor, yeah, okay? And the other one is, uh, and you, I, I'm sure you remember me talking about this, is isolation, okay? And this is the, the most worrying thing about what's obviously taking place because the one thing I really want to stress is we are community beings. Yeah. We, 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 
we demand it, okay, and we thrive off it, okay, and that's the one thing that's been really taken away from us, okay, and we're isolating. This is definitely not good for our biochemistry, and this is definitely not good for a lot of individuals moving forward. Yeah, okay, we need it, okay, and I could tell you all, you know, the things that I would really preach, okay, like food, ice therapy, you know, breathing, okay, our training, all these things. They're obviously very good for you individually, okay? But do that in a community setting, okay? And all those beneficial biochemical reactions are amplified. Yeah. They're amplified, okay? That just tells you how, how, how strong our community aspect is, okay? And if we want to look at the, the most definitive thing, uh, aspect that defines blue zone areas, and that's obviously areas in the world where they live to 80, 90, they don't get particular things like autoimmune diseases and cancer. Now they're looking at their food and they're looking at that. They, in Okinawa, they eat this. And in, in Ikaria, they eat this. And in Nakoya, they eat this. And they all essentially eat different, you know, different foods, different ratios. But the one thing they've got in common is their community bonds. Strong community bonds. Okay? And I'm telling you, this is really the key to their longevity. Okay? And so this isolation is really taking that away. Okay? And I, I, I'm telling you, on top of this, it's actually affecting our longevity as well. Okay, so isolation is, is just so so terrible when it ca- actually comes uh, to blocking brain-derived neurotrophic factors. So you're affecting your neurotransmitter balance, you're affecting your neurons. Now, is that going to leave you more susceptible to mood disorders, uh, depression, anxiety, nervousness? Of course it is. Now, let's look at all the things that increase brain-derived derived neurotrophic factor well let's start start with some of the things that are a little bit less appealing yeah okay ice therapy okay but you know you know me alexander like out of all the tools that i use for me like ice therapy is probably the most multifaceted i won't go into every single realms that it's really good for okay but one is brain derived neurotrophic factor okay um the other aspects of things like diaphragmatic breathing now that can be things like box breathing okay wim hof breathing you know forced hyperventilation Okay, that's really good for brain-derived neurotrophic factor as well. Exercise increases BDNF. Okay, um, you look at it, things like fasting. Now make sure you're just using the right type of fasting, whether it's a six-one method, five-two method, intermittent fasting, because you just got to understand it is a stress. So you just got to make sure it's the right type of fasting for you as an individual. Don't just read some, you know, book about fasting and all the benefits because it might not be the right type of fasting because. Once again, it's a stress and we're applying a stress to the body. You just got to make sure that you're applying that stress at the right time. Yeah, okay. So things like intermittent fasting, really good, like polyphenols. And that can come from things like green tea, olive oil. Okay. Um, you know, also really other powerful like phytonutrients. Yeah, okay. And so that can be things like curcumin. Okay. Resveratrol. Yeah, okay. These are also good for brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Yeah, okay. Um, and guess what? One of the biggest things to increase BDNF, okay, is actually community. How do you maintain strong community bonds? That's what I wanted to ask you. Like, how do you personally do it? Look, it's definitely been harder in this environment. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, okay. But I think it's getting to a point now where we need to break the shackles. And what I mean by break the shackles, I'm not I'm telling people to break the rules, okay? But you need to start to, whether you use technology to your advantage, okay? You start doing more, you know, community Zoom links, okay? Do that with people around the world and do this frequently, yeah. okay? You, like, and like, 
yeah, we just we 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 really need to break that sh- shackles of isolation because I'm telling you, it's having such a detrimental harm to our brain and such a detrimental harm to our biochemistry. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and and you can look at the literature in when you're in a community setting. Okay. You understand you're laughing more, you're hugging more. Okay. So that human touch is really important, and I can't wait till we go back to that because we crave it, we need yeah. it. Okay. When you hug, you produce more anti-stress hormones, anti-stress compounds like oxytocin, yeah, okay? Um, there's no doubt about that. We know that, yeah, okay? You know, you produce more like anti-inflammatory proteins when you do things like laugh and you laugh frequently. You know, what I'd also strongly advise you to do is when you're watching Netflix, get away from the depressing, you know, Netflix series that, you know, uh, it's just like doom and gloom and people killing each other and all these types of things. And why don't you just watch like a stand-up comedian? Laugh. Yeah. Okay. Like, I actually found initially that I went back to some of the, you know, the comedy programs that used to make me laugh. Like, like I was a big fan of Seinfeld. I'm not going to oh, lie. Oh, really? Yeah, but, Same. Yeah, That's yeah. one of the best sitcoms of all time. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Watching, you know, things like Wedding uh, wedding Crashes and, you know, like uh, a lot of the, like I find like some of the classic sort of comedies that you can watch again and you can pick up like uh, bits that you just didn't actually notice yeah. the first time. But the only reason I bring this up is just like laugh more. Yeah. Okay. Like stop watching the news. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Like um, you can keep up with it now and then, but I'm just telling you laugh more, you know, watch things that are going to enrich you. Okay. You know, watch documentaries that mm. talk about the amazing, you know, uh, the, 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 the amazing things that make us humans. Okay. What we're, what we're capable of. Okay. What our, what our potential is. Okay. You know, uh, watching the, you know, the amazing aspects of nature. If we can't get into nature at the moment, okay. At least, you know, watch David Attenborough. Okay. Watch the, 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 like, I I know this sounds all a little bit fluffy, Alexander, but I really, yeah, I actually really believe people could be doing themselves a huge favor by just starting to watch more of these things. Okay. Rather than putting themselves into, to more fear and and and, uh, and more isolation and more disconnection, yeah. okay? Because I'm telling you, from a biochemical perspective, this is really it's not doing us any favors, yeah, okay? And the other thing that you could uh, easily do to actually help with the with the neurons, yeah, okay, um, and, and and is actually DHA. It's actually omega three fatty acids. So it's a polyunsaturated omega three fatty acid. DHA you can also get from organ meats, okay? So this is gonna make couple of your listeners squirm, okay, but uh, Alexander knows I'm very big on organ meat, so things like liver, but what's really high in DHA, okay, is um, uh, brains, okay, like lamb's brains, okay, I'm an advocate of these things, I'm not telling you to eat it, okay, but I'm just telling you what it's essentially high in, okay, but obviously you can get this from fish oil, okay, if you're more plant-based, then you're probably going to have to get it from algae source, okay, uh, essentially, you get it from fucoxanthin, and the fucoxanthin is converted to to the DHA. But DHA makes up a high proportion; it's like ninety seven percent within the within the brain. Okay, you've also got about ninety three percent in the retina. Okay, so uh, within the eye. Okay, and also it, it it actually makes up a big component. Okay, it actually helps with what we call grey matter. Some people might might have heard of grey matter, but grey matter helps with like short term to long term memory. Would it be fair to say that we could be doing with a, a little bit of DHA at the moment? Yeah, okay, I think I think everyone could. Yeah, okay. Um, so yeah, it, it it actually helps with the what they call the presynaptic membrane. K 
okay, the granules there, okay, so really helping with cognition, memory, okay, and DHA, so just like a DHA omega, omega-3, like a, like a fish oil, okay, that could be really protective to actually help with the brain as well. You know, rather than me sit here and get into the complexity of particular neurotransmitters because it just becomes a bit of a minefield, and I'm sure you would agree with that, Alexander. Absolutely, and I think... This is a nice place to close the conversation, especially with talking about the really practical things people can do to improve their well-being. I really loved how you touched on that and explained that. Um, Dave, do you have any last thoughts, comments, asks of the people listening that you would want to finish with um, before we get up out of here? Yeah, well, I think the question that you asked right, right at the start was, was really like, it was a great question. Okay, is like, um, do we persist with the same school of thought, um, or do we do we do we do we allow more lateral thinking? Yeah. Okay. Do we pivot? Okay, and do we evolve? And I mean, of course, I know the answer. Okay, um, and we need to pivot and we need to evolve. Okay, and for strength and conditioning coach coaches and personal trainers we need to get out of this mentality that this is our lane and it only comes down to sets and reps and tempo and periodization and i'm not i'm not asking trainers and i'm not asking strength and conditioning coaches to fix ailments and conditions but i'm telling you okay without understanding what's going on with someone's biochemistry without understanding what's going on with someone's gastrointestinal tract what bacterial issues they have is going to be very very hard very, very hard for you to apply the right type of stress to that particular individual, okay? And it's going to be very, very hard for you to even understand when to take away that stress to help that individual repair and recover, okay, um, and, and optimize them. Yeah, It's very, very hard, okay, because just look at the human body, okay? The human body does not work in compartments, mm-hmm. okay? Um, you know, okay, we've got the brain and the way we've treated the brain, okay, we said, this is the brain, okay? And then someone else will look at the gut, okay? You know, someone else will look at your foot, yeah, okay? And for some reason, we said, well, the body just operates in all these different compartments, okay? Well, it doesn't. The body works in symbiosis, okay? So to understand the brain, you have to understand the gut. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> like there's no doubt about that, okay? To understand biomechanically, to understand what's going on with the shoulder, you have to understand what's going on with the ankle. Mm. Okay, like and and so for some reason we just we just broken it down into compartments, and then we've had specialists yeah. in particular areas. Okay, we've got specialists in the brain, we've got specialists in the gut. Okay, without um, without having this connection, okay, uh, with 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 other accesses in the body. Okay, we need to understand it all so we. By understanding it all, that allows us to really apply the right types of measures to help the individual. So become a generalist first would be your piece of advice for early coaches and trainers? Yes. Okay. Like I think we need to become more of a generalist. Okay. Okay. That doesn't... So is any is there anything wrong with specialization? No, because I, I feel like we've had to go through the period of specialization to also understand because that's allowed us to take that information and now what we need to do is take that information to allow us to become better generalists. Exactly. Dave, I'll let you get about your day. I'm 
every time I talk to you and have the opportunity um, to continue to learn and to communicate with you, I'm just so grateful there's a person like you um, in this, not just in this industry, but in this world that is trying to do so much good and to help so many people. So, you know, it's a pleasure to speak to you every single time over these years. And uh, I look forward to seeing uh, what you and we can create continually throughout this life. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm very honored to, to, you know, um, not just call you a mentee, okay, but, mm. you know, you're, you're an amazing colleague, yeah, okay, and I, I feel really honored to, uh, to be associated with you, uh, Alexander, and I really love, you know, the message that you're putting out there and the, extents that, the extent that you're going to, mm. uh, that you're going to, 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 to spread these good messages, yeah, okay. And also, you know, what you're doing to, to better yourself as an individual and as a trainer, okay? For anyone who doesn't know, like Alexander is like, he's uh, invested so much time into uh, education and development. It's quite phenomenal and it's quite inspiring to, to watch. Thank you, Dave. That means so much coming from you. It really does. Um, where to finish off, if people want to fix their health, they want to find more about you and learn more, where would you send them? Yeah, look, probably the best best thing at the moment, yeah, okay, is, uh, you know, you can follow me on Instagram. I don't too often say that, yeah, okay, uh, but it's dave.o.brian, yeah, okay. Um, you know, follow my message. Like, obviously, I've constructed a lot of different, uh, you know, protocols and, and products, yeah, okay. One is the gut repair, okay, it's you know, based on the foundations of repairing the gut lining, like believe it or not, I have constructed a, you know, a vegan and vegetarian booklet, even though I am a strong animal protein advocate, but also I want people, if they're going to make that choice, okay, I want to uh, make sure that they're supporting themselves correctly before they just jump into the, to, to the deep end without even thinking about it, okay? And you obviously know that I'm starting to get out the message when it comes to uh, blood markers. You're experiencing that yourself, yeah, okay? Um, and I've actually developed like a blood software, okay? And, you know, I'm really excited about that, okay? Um, and I've created a Nutrition Foundations, okay? And Nutrition Foundations is all based on the predominant uh, aspects that I see in blood markers. So safeguard measures you can apply to more of a general population. Go check those out, people. Um, Dave, thank you again, my friends. Uh, yeah, I'll speak you. to you soon. Yeah, thank you, Alexander. Much gratitude, mate. And same to you. Thanks, mate. Thank you, Dave. Dave O'Brien, ladies and gentlemen. That is... Look, the conversation got deep, as usual, talking to Dave into the complexities of biochemistry and, and you know that was just the foundations dave can really get in the weeds if you guys have seen it on on my personal podcast talking chimps if you want to find more a four-hour conversation on that stuff but about dave um basically trying to understand the principles of of gut health of brain chemistry of the building blocks um try to really get an understanding of having that conversation for you uh, young coaches and trainers is critically important okay to understand that the body works in unison, multiple dozen plus body systems working together to create uh, optimal health. 
And that is the direction, you know, we're trying to push with our course. That's Earth 3 and Foreign Fitness is basically how can we absolutely redefine and restructure and raise the standard of this industry by not just looking at sets and reps, by not just looking at strength and conditioning, right? But looking at the whole 360 of what it actually means for to be a well-performing human being. Right, not just to be able to perform on the field as an athlete, or, or just be able to lift a lot of weight, or, or just be able to look good, but represent the external with the internal. So look good, feel good, and and be good internally. Okay, and that is something we uh, definitely striving to create now, and we will be uh, working to create and release in the future. If you guys want to know more about Orphic and what we do, you you know you if you want to be aligned with this type of vision, if this resonates with you, then we might be a good fit for you. If you are looking and you know or you know somebody serious about becoming a coach and trainer, um, for Dave's stuff, um, I'd highly go DaveO'Brien.com is where you guys can see uh, a lot of that information that Dave was talking about about the eBooks and the um, that uh, services that he offers. If you have problems with your Man, most people do with your gut, with your nutrition, and you're looking for guidance. I'd highly recommend you go seek Dave out. He's one of the smartest human beings that I've ever known and met, and had the pleasure to work with personally. I'm doing protocols and consults with him, and I think if you want to dip your toe into it, then I, we would recommend uh, his new ebooks and products. Um, especially if you're the type of person who's gone to multiple people over the years, and you've been like. I can't solve this problem. I've seen this person. I've seen this person. I think a lot of the problems is we seek specialists to solve generalist problems. Uh, we look for a gastroenterologist or we just look for like a specialist in one specific area when we need to really zoom out and attack it from a holistic, well-rounded perspective. That is my methodology as a coach. That is Orphic's um, vision as a curriculum to be able to teach from this holistic perspective and touch on as many of these components as we as we can and as we reasonably can uh, attack and, and teach. Um, but yeah, hope that covers everything, guys. You can listen to all these podcasts on all podcast platforms, YouTube, Facebook, and you can go to orphaneducation.com to be notified about when we input uh, or when we release these podcasts. Thank you guys so much. I'm Alexander Emanuel. Um, if you guys want to know more about me, you can go search my name up. Otherwise, it's always a pleasure to do these, and I hope you guys enjoyed this Orphic Podcast number 20 with Dave O'Brien.